What's up, everybody? Welcome to Launch AMA, where Launch Academy interviews tech founders in an interactive Ask Me Anything style fireside chat about their product and journey as a tech entrepreneur and founder. On this episode, RVP of program Sam Chan talks to Sanket Chauhan, co-founder of Dots, a community management tool that recently graduated from Y Combinator. They talk about what it's like to build a team with friends and colleagues, why they chose to be based out of New York City in the era of remote work, and how they aim to tackle the challenges of building community online. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Launch AMA. I am your host, Sam, and with me today is the co-founder of Dot, Sankit Chohan. Uh, welcome, Sankit. Thank you. Excited to be here. Awesome. How are you doing, man? Good. Good. Having a good time. Awesome. And you're coming to us out of Brooklyn, New York, right? Correct. Williamsburg, yeah. So this is my coaching space. Uh, if anyone is in Williamsburg, I highly recommend checking this one out. Uh, it's big, spacious, plants everywhere, as you can see in the back. Uh, yeah. so, and, so for people watching the yeah. video, that's a real <laughs> background, right? Because I thought it was superposed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a real background. It goes around. <laughs> okay, or else it's some pretty good AI we got going on. <laughs> I do. I do get that. I think, um, I think it's funny because like whenever like I hear a bunch of people or because it's like a shared space and I hear some people on their first call with like a new person they would have, they'll like, it'll, you heard a bunch of times people say, no, this is a real background because like, people question that. Um, anyways, yeah, it's, uh, if you ever find yourself in Williamsburg, definitely um, welcome you to check this place out. It's called the Brass Factory. Awesome. We'll make sure to do that. So for sure. So before we get too far ahead, just quick Ah, I'm still recovering from COVID. So I'm getting, I mean, all tongue tied, but like a couple of quick housekeeping notes uh, for folks that are here listening live. Remember this is an AMA. So feel free to type in chat all your questions for Sankit as we kind of can continue the conversation today. We're going to be talking all things, uh, community startups. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, your, your experience with Y Combinator as well. I know we're going to definitely deep dive into that. Um, and for those of you are listening on the podcast, whether, whether it's on YouTube or on Spotify, uh, if you want to be in on these live sessions, make sure to go to launchacademy.ca, check out the launch pad program and figure out how you can apply and, you know, be part of our community. So, so to kind of just kick things off, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit, um, and tell me kind of your origin story as we always kind of like to start with. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, um, so John, as you kind of introduced, um, I'm a co-founder of Dots. And at Dots, we help communities improve member experiences through automation and insights. Um, my background, I started engineering in college. Um, after college, I worked in McKinsey and Consulting for three years. And then I uh, always wanted to kind of like knew that I wanted to start something on my own. I was always very entrepreneurial during college, even during high school. Um, and so after I left McKinsey, I like started working with one of my closest friends from high school and we worked on our first company for about a year that didn't go anywhere. We shut it down. We're debating, should we just go get a job or continue working? We both enjoyed the experience. So we were like, Hey, let's take another shot given we have the motivation and the energy to continue. Um, and that's kind of where we started dots early last year. And yeah, I grew up in India originally moved to New Jersey when I was 16 and I went to college in LA and currently I live in New York. That's, that's amazing. You've, you sounds like you've been around everywhere. Tell me a little bit <laughs> a little about, bit, yeah. um, the conversion. And it's really weird because we, we had Michael Lazar, uh, 
uh, a partner at McKinsey on a couple months ago. So it's weird how we've kind of built this strange McKinsey uh, relationship. Okay. When you when you graduated, what kind of made you want to go into to a consulting firm and knowing that you always wanted to build something on your own? And like, what did you kind of gain from that yeah. and convert that so over was- to your building product? I think it's interesting because I think in college, like some of the friends that I looked up to, um, they were like a bit like a year or two older than me. Um, they all were like very excited about working in consulting. And I think I had conversations with them and just hearing some of the things they were talking about, like, Hey, you got to work on pretty high priority projects with some of these top executives at top companies. It felt to me like, yeah, like on a theory, it sounds really cool, but, in a way, yeah, maybe grunt work or whatever, but like at the end of the day, you still get a seat at the table, even though you may not be the person that is driving anything, you can still learn by observing people. And I think that to me was exciting about joining something like McKinsey. Um, but how it happened was more just that I, I was pretty set on working in tech after or like after college. I do a gap year in college as well to work on a startup with a friend of mine. Uh, and so after I went to school, um, and graduated, I was I actually had accepted an offer to be a product manager at a company in the area. And a friend of mine who was working at McKinsey, he was like, hey, we're starting this, or we are kicking off hiring for a new practice, with this, which is in the digital space, where you'll be working with some of these larger companies and help them launch products. And that to me was exciting. And so he was like, why don't you interview? Um, and if you like it, then you can kind of start working with us. And so that kind of, I think, led me to I reneged on the offer on the other company and I had a call with them. And definitely I felt bad about it at the time. Um, but I think I had to do something that in a way I felt selfish, but in a way also like I had to do what's good for me. I know it's a big company. So I think at the end of the day, I was okay. And they're okay. They're doing, they're going great. Um, so I think for me, the biggest reason why I joined consulting was that I felt that would be like a very good learning ground to be around a lot of smart people. And I think that was really true. Um, I think a lot of like, and some of my closest friends are still from McKinsey. Um, I, one of my roommate currently is actually um, someone I met at McKinsey. Um, and so I do tend to sort of like hang out um, some, with some of my coworkers. And I think it tells me that like, hey, I did meet a lot of cool people in that sort of uh, working environment. Um, and I learned a lot. I mean, I think there was a lot of grunt work, but you learn sort of the value of like, sometimes you have to just kind of like roll up the sleeves and get stuff done. Um, and I think the other area that's much more important that I didn't really think of the value around is just like, how do you sort of communicate and how do you sort of structure your thinking? Like I've generally just been very bad at like structuring and sort of like synthesizing. And I think McKinsey, you know, it helped me a lot because that's what you're doing. You're literally getting paid in a way to tell other people what they already know, but like, you're kind of like getting the core insight because it's hard for them to understand fully because they're so deep into their own world that you need an external person to sort of like help synthesize. Um, and of course, I learned a lot about different industries and different people and how to sort of like manage some internal politics. Uh, but I feel like that's something you get to learn in any sort of large company. Mm-hmm. And then what was your kind of pull to kind of ultimately exit consulting world? And uh, I guess you'd always planned an exit at some point, but like, what was the impetus? Yeah, I would say uh, to be completely honest, in a way, it was driven by, I mean, I, I kind of knew that, okay, I wanted to do something, but the timing of it was kind of driven because um, a couple of my friends had also recently left. And I was like, maybe this is a time, even though I didn't really have a good idea of what I wanted to work on. And, and I think that's why I had this like one year of like working on a company that 
both my co-founder and I realized ultimately we didn't want to work on that. And I think that's where I spent the year, like initially I thought it was, I wasted a year, but then I realized like, no, I learned a lot. I learned that there is value in figuring out what is important to work on versus just kind of like picking an idea and working on it. That being said, I mean, there is still like, you can still be successful in picking something and getting good at it. But I think just realizing that and also like a bunch of other pitfalls we learned early in the year that I think while we started building dots, we made sure we were much more intentional about like making sure we don't repeat those same mistakes. Uh, but I think the answer to your question is it was sort of driven by a couple of my friends who were also like leaving. And I thought like, this is the right time. I don't want to stay there for super long either. And the timing just fell at that, at that time. Right. And um, even though I didn't have any idea. So I was kind of just like floating around for four or five months started like connecting with my high school friend was like, Hey, I'm thinking we're leaving. And then I think the timing then started working out, but like, it was a good, like seven, six, seven months where I'm like, I was debating. I was like, am I doing it right? I was sort of like doubting myself um, or questioning, should I just get a job? Cause this is not going anywhere. Um, and that self-doubt I think continued for a year. And then I think eventually I was able to kind of like, in a way, get over it, at least partly. Mm-hmm. And then you had dived into a, not dots, but a different company. Am I reading that right? Mm-hmm. I'm just going through your LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah. What was that about? Yeah, yeah. And what was, how did you kind of get that started? And I guess ultimately move on from that. Yeah. So at McKinsey, I did like a very short project in the mining industry, not crypto mining, like hard rock mining. Mm-hmm. And so I think that sort of like made me realize that a lot of these mines are just operating at a very like inefficient level where if they have even just a general idea, like such as like what time do the machines, the drills turn on, what time do they turn off? They can sort of like stagger these things in in a very simple, like efficient way, which generally just doesn't happen. And so that was sort of the general area where um, my co-founder and I, his background was in data and like full stack engineering, but like, Predominantly data, data science is like one of those um, core area. Um, and so we were just looking at sort of like, okay, hey, what's a good overlap? Okay, I have some experience in this industry. You have much more interesting like data and data, data science. So we were just looking at sort of like overlapping. And that I think led us to sort of looking at mining as a space. And then I honestly started reaching out to a lot of people that I can talk to either through cold email, LinkedIn outreach, and uh, I got connected to um, one of our like earlier sort of like partner who I became like an advisor for Sediment IQ that was in the company. Um, and so I met Francisco like through LinkedIn. We had a chat like I think end of December three years ago and uh, had a couple more follow-up calls like understanding like how are they sort of running. They, they, they were basically contracting out their employees to these, these like underground mines. And we just realized okay, there's a lot more we can sort of like help you. And they were also very excited because he has been trying to digitize their sort of like mid-tier mind. So our idea was like, how can we use um, simple uh, sort of like tracking solutions for some of these mid-tier underground mines? Because they don't have a lot of budget to spend on getting internet. Like there is not any, there's no internet or Wi-Fi in these underground mines that expand kilometers wide. Um, And so how can we use Bluetooth sort of sensors to make it a bit easier to track these things so that they can understand what's happening underground? Because it's just, it's a black box. No one knows what's going on. And so that is sort of the area we started focusing on. And then I think, I don't know, January flew to like Mexico. He invited me like, hey, come stay at mine for a couple of days, stay there, talk to a bunch of the folks out there. And yeah, that sort of kicked us to work on that product. 
Um, COVID happens in April. So of course things get slowed down. We were planning to go to the mine for like a month and stay there and maybe like help them set up. You know, that could happen and so we had to ship out everything. So things were kind of delayed. And I think what happened was in that whole time, we made a very classic, like, I guess, maybe a first founder mistake where we found one key client. We thought, okay, this is going to be great. Um, so why don't we just like work with them and make them successful? But I think we never like thought of like, okay, what if like this person decides to just like back out last minute or what if budget doesn't get passed? And that literally was happened was I think like, I don't know, three, four months deep into it. Um, they were like, all right, like this is working, but like, we don't, we couldn't get the approval to like give you the funding beyond this pilot. And so I think that, that point you have to go back and then now start doing much, bunch of cold outreach and get more intros to customers. And that I think extended sort of our timeline. And eventually we just realized, okay, this is a very slow moving industry as we can see. And we were also struggling to get like more of these, um, customers, um, and there was a point where I think that like, we felt like we had a good network. Like, I went to a couple of conferences and also had like this P, like, kind of this, this sort of investment fund that I could invest in like a bunch of different mines across. Uh, and so we were like partnering with them to give it to like your mines. So it seemed like we were making progress. But I think by the time, honestly, both me and my co-founder were a bit burned out. Um, and we had a lot of conversations about like, do we want to continue here or not? And I think eventually it just felt like this was not, something that feels exciting. Like we can see it, this being a business um, and definitely a profitable business, but it's not something that we feel we're going to be excited to continue working on for the next five, 10 years. Uh, and so that I think made us want to pivot. Hey, listener, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Launch AMA so far. If you would like to attend these chats live, ask questions directly to the presenters and be part of the show, you can sign up for our program, Launchpad. You can learn more about Launchpad and what we do at Launch Academy by going to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. All right, let's get back to the episode. And that was actually the same co-founder that you eventually built Dots yeah. with? Or? Yeah, okay. yeah, same, same co-founder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think in a way, I mean, we have been working almost now for four-ish years. Like I met him in high school um, and we became um, good friends. Like I think my last senior of high school, then we both took a gap year in college, uh, working at another, comp- another friend of his startup. We lived together. And then I think uh, three years ago, we had to start working on this. And yeah, so I think that chemistry was there. And I think the trust was always there. I mean, of course, we had both of our ups and downs. We have different sort of like working styles. It took us a while to get to a place where we both can understand each other well. And I think now, at least we're like doing a lot better job of understanding each other. So that is for sure like been helpful. Like having a co-founder that you can trust um, has been helpful. Yeah. And, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into that just mm-hmm. because like, you know, you guys met in high school, obviously we're, we're friends first. Um, yeah. Looking around the room, I see founders that have been working with close friends since childhood. I see founders that are working with their partners and spouses and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Um, I, I often meet founders that are, are on mixed sides. Some people are like, never work with your family or your close yeah. friends. And some people like are like, well, these are my co-founders in life and, and in business. Um, what are your thoughts on for, for maybe for folks that are looking for co-founders or maybe looking to add a co-founder, like how did you know that or not know, but like, how did you decide that, you know, you want to work with your co-founder, um, either despite you being friends or because you are friends, right? Like what made that working relationship work? If you can kind of dissect it. Yeah. I mean, I would say like, I think given we worked together already, 
um, we already knew how we both worked. I think in our case, it was a little different where we were, we were friends, but I wouldn't say we were the closest friends. Um, and I think we started sort of like working uh, together at the start of during college. And I think that sort of like made us realize that, okay, we both, like we went to hackathons together. So we knew that, okay, like we can sort of like work well and we can launch products. We enjoy doing these things. Um, and over time, I think like after, since we lived together, the friendship developed. And I think when he was sort of debating of like, yeah, I want to quit my job and maybe like work on something. Um, I feel like it wasn't necessarily like, like it, it felt like, okay, well, well, the timing is right. We both know each other. We work together. So why don't we just give it a shot? Like, I think it was more of that versus like, okay, please. I know, like, I think ideally, like maybe like what we could have done is like under the founder questionnaire, like those things that are, and that's what I recommend for a lot of people. Like it's helpful to kind of like go through this questionnaire. And I think eventually we did do a version of that where um, there's an Excel chart. I think if you look up like founder questionnaire, 50, 60 questions or whatever, I think that can really help you sort of like understand like what are your values? Like, what do you care? Like, what is, where do you want this company to be? What is an exit? Like these things were sort of like um, interesting. Um, but I think we had sort of like our downs, right? And I think through that process, um, we had to found a coach and that coach helped us sort of um, figure out like, hey, what do you care about? What do you care about? And then kind of like see how can you sort of find the common ground? Um, and I think it was sort of a working relationship. It wasn't like, okay, we knew each other and we are like great friends, so let's continue. And it was a great relationship. Like I think as when you start working, you realize that your friendship impacts, right? I mean, I feel like, yeah, like I talk to him every day, but like you're not talking about external things. You're always talking about work stuff. Um, and and in a way, I think um, like we were like hanging out like uh, a year ago and it just came up once that like uh, one of us was like, oh, like sometimes we don't want to hang out like externally because we feel like we may just want to like talk about work. Um, and so it's better to hang out with someone else as a buffer. So we don't just always talk about work. Um, and I think like that sort of made us realize okay, you have to be a bit more intentional where um, like earlier this year, we did a trip where it was just two of us uh, were working together for a week, but then the weekends we just like did trips and barely talked about work. Uh, and so I think that helped kind of like improve the relationship, but I agree. Like it is, it is tough. And I think you have to put in the effort, like it just because you already know each other, like, most likely it can create problems. And so you need to sort of be proactive about like making sure those problems don't hinder and you're communicative. And we do retros as well. I mean, I think most recently we haven't done one, but like, I think when we started working, we were doing like pretty consistent retros like every two-ish weeks where uh, we talk about like what went good uh, and then what, what, what needs to be improved. And then you kind of be a little bit more honest about it with each other. Because you guys went through not one, but at least two two different products together, right? And so it was... You're continuing to, four. to I mean, I guess four. technically four, but yeah. yeah, but it's like, I mean, they were like in between, I think we were in the pivot zone, we had like two different products that we were like debating between. And then dots was like the third one that kind of like was more promising. And then we doubled down more on that when we got a paid customer. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Talk, talk to me about, about what dots was, is trying to do. Like, obviously we're very familiar, like full disclosure, like we, yeah. we at launch Academy use dots and we love it. Um, Samson, to me, where are you guys uh, somewhere like they, they love using your product, but, but mm -hmm. obviously nobody else outside here knows like what, what are you trying to achieve in and where was, where's that problem that you guys saw? Yeah. So the problem, so I guess, let me, let me give you the background story, right? So the story was that, um, one of my co-founders, uh, close friends, uh, he runs a community of product managers who are job seekers and we were 
talking to him because he always has uh, really like, because he spent like a bunch of time working on this. So he has ideas on what are sort of inefficient in his, in his sort of like company um, as he's running the sort of community of uh, PM job seekers because it's a part of a broader company that he's building. And one of the things he had mentioned was around how it is a challenge to manage an active Slack community. And I had seen that briefly because I was running like a small community on Slack for alumni from college. And I think the challenge there is that when your community grows, um, you find yourself doing a lot of manual tasks um, that ideally should be automated so you can focus a bit more time on interacting with your members one-on-one. And that I think was our initial sort of like insight, or at least that's what we thought. Like, we have, what can we sort of do that allows communities to scale uh, while being personal? And we started like looking at this problem a little bit more and then doing some research, came across um, a guy named Matthew Barbie who was running um, a community and he had posted a tweet about like, hey, I love to have a very simple Slack analytics tool. Um, and so I just DM'd him on Twitter. I'm like, hey, if you build this, would you pay for it? And he was interested. And so that sort of like led us to build um, Dots. And then he eventually ended up becoming our, uh, like an angel investor in our company. So that was pretty cool. And then started talking to a bunch more communities and realized like, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a problem that a lot of communities resonate. And so we started um, focusing on building more detailed sort of like Slack automation around like how can you help message multiple people at a time in slack and we continued that all last year and i think now we're sort of like in this uh, zone where what the area i think we were last year focusing on was more around like how can we give community managers this um, source of truth about their community um but i think ultimately where we landed now is that i think it's important but i think what's more, more important is still like that personalization and automation, which I think a lot of communities still lack. And so that is the area. Um, and what we're building currently now, a lot of our focus has been around um, this pretty cool, like no code platform that you can use to define that if something happens to XYZ, just like a Zapier, but like much more in depth for some of these community tools is what kind of you're building right now. Um, and so Discord has been sort of like our second sort of bigger uh, priority just given how many more communities are popping up and generally discord is seen as a better community platform in some ways than slack given the pricing structure mm-hmm. cool um mm-hmm. speaking of slack and discord so yeah in the launch community amongst members amongst our team we've had many debates like do you use slack or do you use discord and then there's gonna be a random guy that comes in and goes like oh, what about microsoft teams um yeah where where do you kind of see and obviously you have clients from from both sides what are the merits yeah. of, of either or and why would a company choose to use one over the other yeah i would say the unless you're running like a community of 10,000 people like the only the only way you decide this is looking at your customers and say okay where do most of my customers hang out on like it doesn't matter if you like slack or discord like i personally would say i enjoy slack more than discord because there are specific UI elements of Slack that makes a lot more sense to me. Um, but that being said, like we are about to build our Discord community because we have a lot of Discord users as well. And I'm okay having two different communities because I want to meet where my customers are. So I guess like the recommendation there isn't there. The answer is just like, okay, if, 
an example is let's say you are building a product for um I don't know, marketers at like series A and beyond companies, most likely Slack is your best bet there because that's where your members or your customers are going to already be using. That's what they're already interacting. Um, but let's say you're building an open source tool, Discord seems to be a better option there uh, just because now Discord is sort of like a little bit more seen as like developer friendly. Um, I mean, of course, I mean, there are pros and cons there, uh, but I would say go with that sort of mindset versus saying that, okay, a Slack is expensive, so I don't want to do it. Because eventually you'll figure it out, like once you get to 10,000 members, you're at a scale where you can figure out, like, does it make sense uh, to just even not have Slack or Discord and just maybe have a different platform like Discourse or Insider where people can just like talk and help each other. Uh, yeah. But that's a problem for later initial days don't overthink it just pick one where your questions are yeah for sure and just to do a live experiment here if you're listening to this yeah. live i want you to type in the chat whether you prefer slack or discord or a third option that that we haven't talked about we'll see what we'll see what uh, our members like but on that kind of on that kind of path talking yeah. about communities talking about discord chat discords and, and slacks and whatnot from like mm-hmm. a business owner perspective maybe you're b2c maybe you're b2b maybe you're b2e like yeah. What do you see as like nurturing that community and using these these places or using these tools? Like, what's the benefit of that? Benefit of using any of these sort of chat communities or just Johnny communities, or just build it, building like in the old days, Web two, Web one, we used to call them forums, right? Like you know, Discord, yeah. Slack, there are evolutions of that. What yeah. what's the point of hosting one if if you're let's say you're running a SaaS or something? Yeah, I think the value is that a forum typically ends up becoming very static where you can post a question, someone will respond. You don't quite know who that person is behind is uh, in a lot of cases. And that, that I think doesn't really make someone feel personal. Whereas if you have a chat community like Slack or Discord, for example, it's the same exact thing, except this is more of a chat interface. I just feel like chat is just a better way to communicate and can get people's personality, at least on at a text level. Of course, it's hard to say if I'm messaging different, a certain way, am I the right person behind it? But it gives you a flavor behind how they think and or how they could potentially be. And that I think that hypothetical sort of like person you built up in your mind, I think is important. And that's I what makes these sort of things a lot better. I think if you look at any of these forums, it's like I make a post, some person will sort of like, some support person will respond. And I'm like, okay, well, like, I don't really know. But like, if I post in a community and like, it's like a team member that responds, even the same exact concept, but it's just like, you see their face and you see like, hey, this is a person, they're online. So they're like there with me right now versus a forum that I post. I don't even know when someone responds. But in this case, I kind of know if they're online. I can even message them. I have I can directly go and ping them. That's, I think those concepts are easily translatable. And so that I think makes it a better way to sort of communicate. And I think in the early days, everyone should have some sort of direct line of access to their customers. I mean, you don't need to have Slack or Discord community. You can just do it over email. Um, yeah. It's just a bit easier to have some sort of community where you can post and broadcast and get feedback from people. Um, even if it's, not very active it's completely okay like it doesn't matter if it's not active it's, just like it's there people can use it if they want to and it's just doing and then 
if you get more and more people there and, it, and over time you can sort of like figure out how to improve the engagement. Um, but there is value in the early days of just getting back. Um, I think mm -hmm. I saw a question around like um, that, like, oh, how does our team prioritize features um, based on community feedback? I think in a way, like we use this community and, and the Discord community we have to get like ideas. Um, and a lot of times people are responders saying, oh, we like this, we don't like this. Um, but I think at the end of the day, like if someone asks a feature from us, um, I typically just go to three other customers. And if other three people say yes, um, then we'll prioritize that. Um, that has been, it's a very rough framework because um, we are not as like, we're not big enough for us to like have a much more mature framework. Um, I worked in those environments where you have a little more mature framework than just asking three customers because that is a scale well. Uh, but in our case, that works because we have much more direct access to customers because we're small. Mm -hmm. And and I know, like, I feel like a lot of founders early on when they build mm -hmm. a Slack or Discord, I think a lot of the emphasis is around customer service or customer support. Um, yeah. Be, kind of try to stretch it beyond that. You already kind of touched a little bit on, on you know, using and building that feedback loop. Um, yeah. What are some other kind of use cases beyond just customer support and and getting feedback for, for your customers? Like, is there value in in getting your, your first-time customers to know each other? Or like, can you describe how that may work? Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's definitely value in having... So that's another use case, right? Of like your customers getting to know each other. Because... If you have a problem and are using my product and I have another customer X that is also using my product, chances are that customer and customer X are having similar interests in some way or shape. And if they connect, um, they can share ideas. In a lot of cases, at least how it manifests with dots is sometimes uh, we find out a use case from our customer and then we can say, hey, like this customer is using it. And so... We've had that happen where like we had introduced one of our customers to the other customer because they were trying to figure out how to be used, something like this. And we gave like I've seen they do it this way. Um, and I think that level of serendipity a community can provide, which is hard to do um in, in a forum, um, I feel, because it's not accessible. Uh, and so there's value. I mean, forums are also just a form of community, um, but I'm talking about like a, a chat in general. Um ideas is sort of like definitely another sort of like area and i think there's other sort of like bucket of just getting just knowing like how people are thinking about like specific things that come up in the world of let's say in our case community or it could just be whatever sort of like niche you are in um it's good i think what communities ideally can serve purpose and if you don't do a good job then i think like we want to get there is um we would love to be a place where anyone that's thinking about like automating aspects of their community, regardless of their, their customer dots or not, or they want to use dots or not, like we want to have a forum where people can actually describe, talk about these things. Um, and that to me is important because then people feel they get value out of it. And eventually they may use just like dots or not, like it doesn't matter. Like it's just that I'm, it's just a service we're providing as part of like our entire package and, and subset of those people end up using dots and that's okay. Um, but I think, if you, in, in a way, I think if you think about building community, if you can maybe think about from that lens, you actually build a much more genuine community than saying, I want to just build a customer support community. Um, which, of course, I mean, like you can start that way and that's how we started. Um, but there's also an aspect of like, if you can start a community of saying, I just want to have people chat and talk about specific topics that are in my niche, um, then 
And you're already building value. And eventually these customers will end up wanting to use you if they see the value they're getting out of you. And if the timing is right in the context of problems they're seeing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so specifically, I want to emphasize and talk about a little bit about the, the beginning of these communities. So, mm-hmm. so I think one of the, the worries of, from a founder perspective of starting a community is like you might bring two people in that are your core customers and the three maybe prospective customers. Let's say you have a group of five people, right? Yeah. And it's always feels like when a community is starting is there's this kind of like chicken and egg where like people don't really know what the norm on how to act in this community is, especially online. Right. I think COVID yeah. helped a little bit of that with, with kind of the virtual connection and all that kind of stuff forced us to yeah, interact with yeah. others online. But like, how, how do you see that kind of forming initially and really like starting from, from really nothing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, um, and I'll share examples of like what I've seen as like the best use case or best sort of like ways to uh, manage um, or grow community. Right. So I agree that it is a chicken and egg problem. Um, you should, think of your community building as like the one of the biggest pillar is onboarding, right? So how can you, how do you onboard your new members such that they feel welcome? Um, and so good ideas here is that, okay, like everyone as they join, send them a message welcoming the community and then prompt them to post a quick introduction. Um, the problem with introduction, sometimes I've seen what people do is that they'll make it very long, which can be annoying. Like I don't want to talk like, I don't want to sit down for five minutes and write an intro. Like I want something that I can write in like a minute. Um, and don't use fun facts because those are like sometimes people, I don't even have, I don't know sometimes when people ask me a fun fact, I'm like, I don't know what my fun fact is. Like, it's just like, I think about these things. <laughs> it should be something very simple. That like, like, I think one thing that I found is for like, and I've seen it and I copied it in our community was that, okay, like what's the last like favorite food you had? And I think you had mentioned chicken um, and fried chicken. So I feel like it's just easy to think about versus like wanting to have Think about it um, and we can make that little frictionless, but then that gives me a flavor like, hey, okay, you like fried chicken. So I kind of just know a little bit about you that generally I wouldn't know otherwise. And so I think doing it well, that's important. The second is after um, continuing following up with those early, early sort of people. Um, and so getting feedback from those members, you onboard them and then having some sort of frequent check-in or even just a quick message after 14 days, set up a reminder that like, okay, these are the 10, 20 customers that are in my community. Um, every three weeks or something, let me just check in saying like, hey, you're in the community. Like, what can we sort of like do better? Or do you have any ideas on what sort of content we can uh, start posting? Uh, we are looking for ideas. People are down to give you ideas, but you have to kind of keep asking them a little bit more. And sometimes follow-ups, general follow-ups are also um, required in a way. Um, and unless, of course, they say like, don't, message me again, then stop doing it. But otherwise I think you <laughs> should continue doing that. Um, so I think those are the two areas in terms of like this early, like five to let's say 30, 40 members journey where um, get the onboarding right. And then just continuously ask them like, Hey, what's going on? And the, I think parallelly you have to be consistent in what you're doing in the community. So maybe like set up a time of the day uh, in a week where you're posting consistently. And that consistency will, I think, drive. That's what I've seen in a lot of communities that are like run well is you are posting consistently. Um, and yeah, like your initial post may don't have any reaction or replies, but that's okay. You keep doing it and then it will build up. It's like how you 
build your blog audience or Twitter audience. Like you just keep doing it consistently over a period of time. You have the reps and um, over time it compounds. Um, and so don't be sort of discouraged if like, I don't know, it takes you a month, two, three, whatever that time is before your community starts like going up, like it'll pay off eventually because you'll learn from it. Um, just think of it that way. Like you'll learn for sure, like something from the community and that by itself is important. Yeah, I, th- I think Samson, our community manager, is spinning his head right now saying, no, don't give away our state secrets. <laughs> <laughs> and, of, and of course, like, again, full disclosure, Dots definitely helps us with things like making sure we're, we're messaging each of our members individually, making sure that, that we spend some time figuring yeah. out what, what their yeah. needs are and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, but uh, I think it's important. Yeah, I think it's like you shouldn't be using something like Dots until you're like 100 plus members. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's when it starts becoming useful, like any of the automation or analytics. Like mm-hmm. Before that, do everything manually. Um, yeah. Like we don't use dots in our current sort of like Slack community because it's smaller and it doesn't make sense for us to do it because I for think sure. when we grow, we'll do it. Uh, so keep that in mind that like, I think initially, like don't look at tools, just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and I think I, I want to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit because I think a lot of mm-hmm. people are, are sitting here as founders of whether it's SaaS or maybe they have e-commerce or maybe they're building tools or they're Web3 or they're, their VR or whatever it is you guys are building out here. Um, they're wondering why we're kind of having these conversations. Like from, from personal experience, I can really say like the programs, the products that we've been able to create at launch, like a hundred percent of it is completely feedback driven, right? Like one of the things that I tell every member before they remember long before they've paid us ever a dime is like, yeah, I want to know from you what you find value in. Right. And I want you to be comfortable with paying X dollars for X value back, right? Yeah. I don't want to waste your time and my time with, you know, you entertaining me with something that's not useful and I'm giving it to you. And for whatever reason, you're paying me anyway, and you don't have any use for it, right? And so, so I think the, the emphasis that I want anybody else, whether you have Discord or Slack or not to take away, I think is that valuable feedback loop and, and this kind of customer driven um, product building. Um, which you kind of already kind of described through through your journey a little bit, and and I definitely see um, very simply in in B two C situations, B two B situations. I think are also really helpful. I think B two E is a little bit different, uh, depending on you know the types of customers you may have, and and you know everybody yeah. has their red tape, and and they don't they might not be as open to share you know whatever it is mm. they're, they're working on and stuff like that. But, but definitely I want to make sure that that company's listening. Like they may not have a discord or they might not have a Slack, but there is importance yeah. to, to figure out that, that customer feedback loop. Yeah. Um, sorry, and my B2E, you mean like enterprise? Enterprise. I've never, yeah. okay. I've never, I've never heard this term before. First time you're hearing yeah. it, how to clarify. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel like it, in enterprises, actually, it's sometimes a little bit more important where, of course, you may not have a glowing community of thousand people, given that you're, mm. Each contract could be anywhere from 100k to a million, multi-million dollars. Um, but there, like you, if you connect your customers to other customers, there is a lot of value in uh, them knowing how are other companies. Because every time you build something or you're providing a solution, you're trying to tailor to a, a different enterprise uh, and trying to fit it in a context of a broader organization. You can learn. You can have your customers learn from each other, and these sort of like shows are a lot more important. And yeah, in, in that case, it may not be a Slack community or it could be depending on the size of company, uh, but it is much more important for you to connect your members as well. Via it as, and like also, I mean, 
getting feedback is important, but also like connecting. Kind of, I think customers can also be very valuable. At least from what I've heard, we don't we are not enterprise, um, but that's kind of like my general idea or takeaway from like other companies that are in the space. Yeah, for sure. And as you were kind of talking, you kind of just jogged my my vision. Like I wish I had like a whiteboard in front of me where I could doodle this. Mm. Because I think I think as as early founders, founders often want to put stuff in buckets. Like, is this product? Is this marketing? Is this sales? Is this customer support? And and I feel like this community building, which is more and more kind of becoming its own section, really touches mm-hmm. on all of these kind of Venn diagrams that you can imagine what I'm trying to describe in my head. Yeah. Right? Because because your yeah. community can really drive your your product. It's also your can be your first line of of customer support or feedback. But yep. using that, like I I'm trying to imagine ways like where maybe a lot of your your marketing or your lead gen is based on on content marketing. This is the first place for you to share with all your customers the content that you're creating, as opposed to you know you're expecting them to go on Twitter, you're expecting them to go on Facebook or whatever, right? And yep. so it can really work with your marketing and sales and and as well. Um, and so hopefully that that explanation wasn't just you know you can guys can yeah. just visualize that that diagram in your head. Um, I also just linked a really great Twitter thread um, that you launched I think yesterday at the time we're we're recording mm-hmm. this on onboarding. So so make sure you we'll we'll link this in the the podcast as well so that people can can make sure to follow you on, on yeah, Twitter and, and go go check out that that onboarding piece. Um, one of the things I wanted to kind of just mm-hmm. as we're moving along here. Um, yeah. about dots was like, you eventually decided to, to apply for, for Y Combinator and you mm-hmm. guys were accepted in, I think it was 2021. I'm not sure which month. Um, yeah, last, why last did summer. you guys decide to, to join YC and like, could you describe us through, I think a lot of listeners are wanting to know, like, what was that experience like? And, and I, I think the, the elephant in the room is like, how did you get in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so why did we decide to apply to YC? I would say it stems down to it was something that we always wanted to do it as when we started the journey. And it's it's hard. I mean, now I can like rationalize my decision and go back and to look at it. And I can, I can describe like, oh, why it was useful. But like the immediate reason to apply was because we thought like, okay, to get sort of like access to a lot of quality talent and investors, YC is sort of like this quick pass to getting there. And that was a perception I've had for years because you see a lot of popular companies come out of it. And I read a lot of these like programs, essays, uh, programs like the founder of my Combinator. And every, if you haven't checked out, you should definitely, uh, folks here should ch- uh, check out some of the essays. But anyways, so you always like had this perception. It's like, I don't know, certain people may have like as you're going in high school like yeah i want to go to a specific school like you just had the perception i think that was sort of like driving us to apply um and so we applied as soon as we started deciding to like work on the mining company um first time they said you guys seem smart we like you as founders but you guys are just like starting in a space where you have no experience come back next uh batch uh with your progress and then the next batch we get there, we get an interview again. We, at that time, by, by the time we got the interview applied with the same idea, because we, we had to make some progress. By the time we got the interview, we were deciding to like completely pivot. And so we literally just like spent a week working on a very small prototype of a different idea in the data science space and went to the interview with that idea. And their feedback there was like, okay, you guys literally just pivoted a week ago and 
I can see this is a cool product, this self-interest, but I don't see a good vision here. Like what, what is this company going to be doing? And, and so we're just like, oh, damn, okay. Uh, and so then we applied the third time when we were working on Dots. And this one was, I think we had already spent two, three months. We had paying customers, our revenue was growing, and we had an idea of like what this can grow into. And I think that sort of was more exciting. How we got in, I mean, of course, we tried a few times. So I would say everyone has, like, if you don't get in the first time, try uh, two, three times. I know some batchmates tried like four or five times or more as well. Um, and so don't feel bad about like not getting in the first time. I think in a way it's like, I don't know, applying to any of these um, big schools. Like it's, it is a bit to capture. I mean, you may be really good, but like in grasping of things, like something you said may not have vibe or some partner may not have totally understood your vision because you were not describing it in a way or they're just having a bad day. Like, I mean, there are lots of things. I mean, they're interviewing some people that like, it's hard. You can't really control all the people. So I wouldn't really um, take rejection as like, oh, I'm, we're just not a good company because there are also plenty of examples of companies that are good without YC. So it's not YC is that ticket, but it did help us in uh, like streamlining our sort of like fundraising process. Um, but more importantly, I think the reason why uh, we eventually were like, when we started doing YC and we look, look back at what really YC helped us was focus. Um, and I think this is something that like we were struggling where we would be sort of like spread too thin around um, getting ideas from our customers and some person would be asking us to do this and we kind of do it. And I think have, YC was kind of like a way of like, okay, find one thing that you want to solve and just kind of like focus all your effort on it. Don't worry about marketing. Don't worry about PR. Like I, I think the tweet you sent, I think this is something more recent I'm, I've been doing the last like few weeks. Um, before that, we have not done any marketing. It's just like, there's no reason to start marketing until you feel like you have something and it's growing um, at, at a pace where you want to sort of like spend effort. Um, and so I think that was sort of like the core thing we got from YC is that like, just focus. That was like the, the biggest, I think, my takeaway um, from it. And of course, I'm going to talk to your customer. Those are like very sort of like your um, general like advice. And I feel like I knew these things, but I think going through something like YCN, having the partners that we had and they tell you that, okay, this is a dumb idea and this is a great idea and how, how you should think about it was helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, like if I look at all the advice, like nothing was unique in a way. Yeah. I mean, they give it in a context of my business, but I think it's something about like hearing from someone um, that you feel like, oh, they've, they've been successful. So I should listen to them. Uh, was I think much more impactful, but honestly, like a lot of the advice you get, like you, it's not something new. Like I'm sure everyone knows, like if you're building a company, be focused on one thing. Like you don't need to be told that many times. But like, frankly, you, I need to be told so many times to be a little <laughs> bit more focused, or to hire random people, or like don't spend money on like conferences that may not really have the ROI initially. Um, like don't spend a lot of time on yeah. So it's just like a bunch of like random things uh, that I think we just learned. And even the other thing was like don't hire fast. Like if that's something that like um, our partner at YC was just like your burn should be less than fifty k until you get to like unless you have like, until you're like okay I am like struggling uh, like I cannot like keep up right now um, or you are like getting to like that. Uh, series A milestone of like growing 20% month over month last six months and or getting to close to a 1 billion ARR. 
until and keep it fifty mil, fifty thousand dollars. And then that number has been on our head always. And and I think that was a very good benchmark because I think that's, I mean, that's that's very a big pitfall a lot of companies fall into. And of course, like. I can't say because I can I can observe it from these companies outside, so it's hard for me to describe if they're doing if it's the right decision or not. But hearing these sort of like folks tell you directly, you listen to them more, um, and so that was helpful. And I think the last thing was just like I flew to, so I'm based in New York, but I ended up going to the Bay Area because my co-founder just moved there, and I'm a lot of cool people. Like I feel like uh, two of my closest friends now. Um, are my batchmates, and we had a lot of events together. So you do get to meet a lot of uh, smart people um, that are all like working on cool things. So you just have built that community of people around you, which is helpful. And I think like something like what you're doing, Sam, here with Launchpad, I feel like it gives that community, which is important. I think that is um, underrated in a lot of ways because you need that. Uh, it's hard to just work alone, uh, especially if you're just like, in a place where you may not be growing, then you get depressed of like, how do I sort of like work through this and having the other peers that are also going through it is helpful. Like I've had that so many times where I'm like, Oh, what do I like, what am I doing here? And I think having people around you that are also going through it is helpful. And so definitely take advantage of that. But going back to YC, I think those were kind of like some of the benefits I saw um, from our side. For sure. Wow. That was, that was a lot to take in. So, so before, mm-hmm. because I know I'm going to get DMS about this after, could you repeat yeah. that one line about what was it? 20% growth, six, six months over six and whoa, fifth million. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's a very traditional, I guess, uh, series a milestone. And maybe we are coming back to that now. Uh, but that is sort of uh, 20% growth over six months. So 20% month over month growth over the last six months. Um, or you are at like, a million um, ARR. And ideally, they're like about two. So if you're not at one million ARR, you're growing enough that you'll get to one million ARR. That's the timing too. Yeah, exactly. You'll get to, um, or if you're already at one million, but then also like just getting one million isn't necessarily like useful. I mean, I can be like this mining company and I get one large customer, I get a million, and then I have no sort of perspective of growing, then no one's going to invest. And so the growth has to be there. And that's sort of like the million milestone. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, and you joined kind of during a pandemic. So was was your cohort in person or was it like virtual? No, it was it was all virtual. Uh, but I think flying to something in the Bay Area gave us the opportunity to meet people, and we would do a lot of events. Like at the and end of our batch, one of our batchmates' parents owned a farmhouse in Texas, so a bunch of us like flew there, and we had like an end of batch celebration, and then even in SF, we would do like events like every other week or something. Um, I think now they are doing element of it in person. Um, and so they had like a, uh, initial kickoff, uh, weekend and then end of the sort of, uh, batch, um, celebration. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's getting to a place where they're, they're kind of making it a little bit more hybrid, I would say. Um, gotcha. I think one, and again, maybe like, I know we're kind of near the end of that, like one thing that maybe I didn't touch upon briefly, I'm like, okay if anyone's interested in applying to YC, like one thing that I've noticed is what these partners care about is they want to leave your 10 minute interview thinking they kind of learned one thing, just one thing. They don't care about like five different insights you have. Something they need to learn from your interview that they feel like, okay, you know what? Like I did not think about this this way. If they leave it that way, then you have a pretty good chance. Um, 
if if you have some traction, it helps for sure. But like, it has to come along with like that unique inside. For sure. No, because what I've learned great. is like, it's not that hard. I mean, it's hard, but it's not that hard to build a 10,000 MRR business if you keep trying a few different things. Um, but if you do that and you have the unique insight, then they can trust you that, okay, you will be able to kind of make this much bigger. For sure. That's great advice. Um, awesome. So, so from your perspective, it's not so much about the, the timing of where your business is at. It's more about, have you found that one core thing to solve? If, if I'm interpreting. Correctly. Yeah. Cause I mean, so many people like get in even without like a, with a rough idea and some are like literally at a million ARR. Like I've seen the spectrum of like YC companies in our badge. Uh, like, and, and what I've kind of noticed is that any of these people, they generally have some sort of like thing that these partners have felt, okay, this is unique. Um, and, and so I like this team. Of course, I mean, their team dynamics and like someone technical, they have like biases towards it because they're just going to be much faster builder. But if you have those things, I think what is what big standout is that. And if you don't have those things, there are situations where uh, there was uh, this person in her batch, she didn't have a co-founder, but she had this like very unique insight and they liked her and they were like, okay, we give you the offer, but you have to find a co-founder next month. And so she just hustled and she found a tech co-founder in a month. Um, but that's, that being said, again, it's not like you, you know, it's hard to like do it as a solo founder, but she was able to do it. So there is a way to do it. It's just that you kind of have to have that one or two, but just focus on one thing that they learn from it. And that, that is like my advice. If I, if anyone asks me about like, Hey, how to kind of get into YC, that's like one way. I mean, mm-hmm. again, YC is not the end of the world. Like if you don't get in, there's plenty of different situations where you can, um, get the help and the resources that you need. Um, so because your, your program was virtual, was it like yeah. your own choice to decide to move to, to the Valley or was that still requirement of the program? No, just choice own choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah, my co-founder was moving that already with his wife. Mm-hmm. So I think it was more driven, but like I chose because I felt uh, that I wanted to be around people that are building things right now. Mm-hmm. And then you spent, you know, a fair bit of time over there. What, I guess from your perspective, because you know, obviously we're going to get to the part where, where you ultimately mm-hmm. choose to leave the Valley again. Um, yeah. What are some of the truths and what are some of the myths about building a company in Silicon Valley? Um, I mean, the truth is of course, like the, the density of super ambitious people is just unmatched. I mean, New York has people like that, uh, but the density is just very high in San Francisco. And that's seen by like, like you just see it in people you meet uh, in terms of like things they're working on or they're just passionate that they talk about, about their work or things they're doing. So I think absolutely that is like one, like one key truth, I would say. I think the myths around, myths are more around like the talent where I feel like now you can... Actually, no, I do feel like there's some truth that there, the, the quality of talent is also very high, but it is sort of like this person across now the world. And so you have access to it. Um, I think the one myth that I've just learned is that we did our is entirely over Zoom. And of course, things are changing and they're coming back to where people do want to do in-person meetup. Uh, but I think it's, it's now much more easier to go and fundraise. And so I don't think you need to be in the Bay Area to build a company. I do feel like for you to build a super massive company, you need to have some presence in the Bay Area. 
in uh, and like for example, like when we grow, like how we would love to have like a satellite office in the Bay Area because that's where a lot of smart people continue to move there. It may change, you don't know, uh, but until if it's if it continues as is, um, I, I do feel like Bay Area will still be that sort of area where a lot of smart people will be there, and so you still would want to have some presence, uh, but. Fundraising wise, I think you don't necessarily need to be in the Bay Area anymore. I think that's definitely sort of like taken away. Also, frankly, was not standard of living wise. I wasn't the biggest fan of the Bay Area, uh, like given how hard it is to move around. I think living in New York for four years, I just enjoy not having a car and there doing anything requires a car or Uber. We were just not my cup of tea, I felt, at least not at the stage of my life. Mm-hmm. That kind of transitions to our to our last bit is just kind of you talking yeah. about, you know, it was great for networking. You know, there are a lot of opportunities there, both for either whether it's biz dev or hiring or et cetera. From I guess for, for the business perspective, like what kind of ultimately led you to say, like, okay, like that's great, but I'd rather be in New York. I think for me it was more my personal like sanity. I felt that I did enjoy Bay Area, but some of the friends that I was like when I was there, like were there, they also started leaving. And, mm-hmm. and to me, it was more of a personal choice where like, I didn't feel like I want to be in a place where I don't like wake up and I feel like I love this place. Like I love what I'm doing, but I also want to be in a place where I enjoy waking up and saying, this is a cool spot that I want to be at. Um, and I felt like long-term New York was a place where I wanted to kind of like build my um, long-term sort of relationship with friends and um, and I think my family's also in Jersey and so I think a lot of it drove me back so I would say it was more of a personal choice in my case where I felt the standard of living that I wanted was better achieved in something like New York versus uh, the Bay Area mm-hmm. but that being said I do go to the Bay Area pretty often um, so my co-founder and I will do um, working sessions more often and so last month he came here i'm going there next month for a week so we'll do more of these where i think there's a lot of value in having in-person conversations and in-person uh working and like environments and ideally like whoever we hire next would be either in the bay area or in new york uh, at least for us to be uh with each other but otherwise we'll just sort of like have some sort of hybrid where i fly there or he flies here to like work together Awesome. And so, so last question for me, I know mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about this, this offline, um, yeah. but, but as we kind of let off the top, you, you immigrated to the States when you were 16 years old. Um, obviously now you're, you're, you've gone through several product iterations. You're, you're running a company. A lot of the people who are listening to this live right now are, are immigrant founders who are relatively new to North America. Um, some yeah. of them may have had past success building companies in their home countries or wherever they're from. Like, what kind of maybe more general advice would you have for, for someone who, who's new to the land? I know, you know, you, you kind of came in as, as a teenager and built companies later, yeah. but trying to imagine, you know, both those things happening at the same time, what kind of advice would you have for them as they're kind of trying to settle here and, and grow and expand as a founder could be mm. personal, could be, could be business. I mean, I think, um, I guess, so I can't, so, Business-wise, I can't relate, but I know some friends who struggle with this. If they come from a culture where it's it feels like too much to ask sometimes, and 
I think this is something that I am generally okay with, but I know some of my friends who kind of immigrated, they struggle with, like they feel like sometimes shy of asking for things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that is like one thing that I, if I were to be in that shoe and if that is an issue, like completely not, you should just have to like kind of like let that go and be okay with like asking for things or asking more dumb questions or asking for more favors. Like it's completely okay uh, to do that uh, because you can always like pay that back uh, in some form or fashion. Um, personally, I think that's something that what I relate to the most is having support of your family. It's like my dad is like, well, you are working a great job. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you like, is this going to be successful? And I think in a way, personally, I had to be okay with this, that, okay, like, I think it's going to be difficult for them to fully understand um, what this is, what is this and how this will evolve and why it takes a lot of time. And I guess like, I kind of wish like I had this conversation with my parents a lot earlier um, around like, Hey, the expectations. And like, this is not going to be like, I set up a business and like a year or two, I'm going to be making a lot more money. It's a very slow sort of growing game. And I just need you to be okay with it. Um, and not necessarily have comments about it, because which can in a way add up. Um, it impacts me a little bit. I don't think it impacts a whole lot, um, but I can imagine for some yeah. people who are much more close to their parents, it can impact them a lot more about like not having that support or the validation from our parents, which is important in a lot of cases. So I think just having that conversation with your parents probably is what I wish I had done like a lot earlier or they kind of like were aware like, hey, this is what this is. And I think it, now they understand and now they support me. Um, but that's something that like, it came a bunch of times where they were like, well, like, can you just go there and like work and like make, it's just like for them, because that's what they want. They're like, hey, why are you doing these things uh, when you could have been doing something a lot different from their concept? And that was much better from their perspective. That's amazing. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Um, just for those listening, either on the podcast later um, or live now, how can companies connect with you and what should they connect with you about? PMs uh, are great. Um, I'll drop my email if anyone wants to uh, shoot me an email. Happy to um especially if you like uh, i think like around like community building absolutely would love to kind of like jam help you think through it happy to kind of do that and if you have questions on um fundraising and investments like through like y combinator like if you are thinking about applying later this fall for the winter batch um just email me uh, or dm me on twitter and we can definitely sort of like help i can help review if that's helpful or even um, I've done some market reviews as well with some um, some folks. I have to do that as well. For sure. Appreciate you so much. Uh, we're going to end up catching up again soon. Yeah, um, definitely. It's it fun. Um, yeah, I know. This was a lot of fun. I hope, I hope everybody here got something out of it. I definitely got a lot out of it. Uh, for Again, for those of you guys that are listening um, later on the podcast, make sure you're subscribed to to our YouTube, to Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you are. We have these every single month. If you're interested in becoming a member and joining these sessions live, go to launchacademy.ca. We have a couple of programs that would get you in here. Um, welcome you to join our community. And we have all the guidelines, costs and fees and, and what we offer um, on there as well. So that's it for us today. Thank you so much for, for those of us that are joining live. And we'll see you all again real soon. Thanks, Sam and Thompson. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. 
This episode was part of the Launch Academy network of podcasts. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. While you're here, we hope you can check out the other Launch Academy podcasts, Bits and Bytes, and Founder Journey. If you're interested in joining these talks live and learning more about what Launch Academy does, go to launchacademy.ca. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Launch Academy HQ. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.